in your Bibles in Hebrews chapter 10, 19 through 21. And hopefully you have your Bibles out in front of you on a phone or in the book that you're holding, or it's also up here on the screen. But it says this, Therefore, brothers and sisters, since we have confidence to enter the most holy place by the blood of Jesus, by a new and living way open for us through the curtain, that is his body, and since we have a great uh, priest over the house of God. I want to stop right there. And just in those two, three verses, it summarizes what Hebrews has been doing all the way up to this point. Jesus has accomplished in everything you could ever imagine. Anything we needed Jesus to accomplish for us, he did. And something Jesus has given us access to, and this really hit me Friday night when Casey and I and the boys were in a worship setting down at the forum with Hillsong Worship and Elevation. And, and, and as we were there, it just came over me. Jesus has given us access to the intimate places in the heart of God. Now, I love you as a church, but I ain't giving you a lot of access to everything in my life. I love you, but I'm not giving everybody here a key to my house. I love you, but I'm not giving you a code to my security system or the password to my bank account or to my IRA. Now, if somebody here wants access to help pay off some student loans on Nelnet, that, that's fine. My username's Josh Ross, passwords, hashtag John316. Just go knock yourself out, all right? I've, I've been processing uh, some of the last few weeks about the progression of telephones over the last century. And a lot of this is because we're at a place with our boys that seems like every week they're like, Mom, Dad, when can, when can we get a cell phone? And which we love responding to our kids answering this question. Because our favorite answer is, you can get a phone at the same age your mom and I were when we got a cell phone for the first time. We were 22. <laughs> we had been married for a year and we bought one cell phone and we shared it. It was, a, it was a minute plan. You know how this was? Only like 15 years ago, it was a minute plan. You couldn't text on the thing. You had one game. We had a game Snake, and that's all we could play. But, but some of you may remember, if you'll, let me just walk you through a progression. There was the box phone that came out years ago. How many of you used to use one of these? Just a show of hands. I'm not trying to say how old you are, but, but I mean, you've been around. You're wise. We're grateful for you. The cool thing about the box phone or maybe the thing that wasn't so cool is it's not like you could just pick this up and call someone you wanted to talk to. You had to call and get an operator who would then manually connect you to the person you needed to talk to, hoping that they're home when they, when they try to, to reach them. And then it progressed from the box phone. And then we had, the, you know, the, the phone that could sit there and, and it had a cord on it. And it was the best that many of us had. It was the best some of you had, all right? And, and the thing with this is you couldn't talk to people. You couldn't really pace and walk. I mean, the best case scenario is you had a cord that could reach 10, 20 feet. You could walk a little bit and get tangled up in the cord. But you had to stay close to where the home base was for that phone. And then there was the portable phone that came out, and this was a little better. It was a step up. You could actually walk around, though it's not like you could walk to a neighbor's house or get in your car and drive and talk. You had to stay within 20, 30 feet from wherever the base was so you could stay connected to it. But it gave you a little bit of freedom to, to walk and talk. The first cell phone I ever remember seeing in my life, and some of you, you, you would be here right with me, is when I was watching Saved by the Bell and Zach Morris pulled out his phone. 
And at first when he did this, I was like, there's no way that's real. Like, we'll never reach a point like that. But remember how big those phones used to be? Some of you used to carry around cell phones. You had to put them in your car and plug them in. And that, that, but it was better than anything we'd ever had. And something many of our kids growing up now will never have to use in their entire lives is some of us remember what it was like to use pay phones. If you're out and about and something happens and you need to reach someone, you don't have a cell phone back in the days. Hopefully you had some change on you to reach somebody. But for so many years with phones, there was no call waiting. For many years, there was no voice message system. You would just hope people are there and you may get a busy sign, a busy signal. If no one's there, you would just try back later. But what Jesus has done is he has given us access and authorization into the presence of God. Anytime we want it, anywhere we are, you don't have to go through a preacher, a pastor, a priest, a local church. You don't have to have a secret password. And then if you forget it, you get an email. And then you have to answer all the questions of what was your great-grandmother's middle name. And so you can get a new password. It doesn't work that way. You don't have to go through a TSA scanner or answer a bunch of questions. Because of what Jesus has accomplished through his death, through his blood, through the resurrection, is we have access and authorization into the presence of God. And what Hebrews tells us, in those two and a half verses there in Hebrews 10, 19 through 21, what it tells you is, okay, here's a summary of what Jesus has accomplished. He's everything you needed a Savior, Redeemer, and a Lord to be. He's done it for you. And then there's this word that is used, confidence. It's a word that shows up multiple times throughout the book of Hebrews. It shows up throughout the New Testament. Confidence, full assurance. And I think the reason the author of Hebrews talks so much about confidence is that there were a lot of people in that church that had lost theirs. They didn't have it. So when it came to their prayer life, the way they prayed, they were so hesitant. They weren't confident that God was hearing them. That There may have been people, and some of you who grew up in more legalistic or more conservative churches may have grown up thinking that, okay, we go to church on Sunday, but if I, if I skip church one day or I don't take communion during a week and something happens to me in this week, will I still be saved or will I not be saved? Is there even confidence in the salvation? So let me ask you this. On a confidence scale of 1 to 10, and you don't have to put up hands this morning, but confidence scale of 1 to 10, how confident are you that when you enter into the throne room of God that God hears your prayers? Scale of 1 to 10. How confident are you when it comes to you sharing Jesus with a family member, a friend, a neighbor, or a coworker? How confident are you? Scale of 1 to 10. How confident are you to sit with someone from another ethnic group or from another social class and to engage in a conversation about the person in the culture that has formed that person? Scale of 1 to 10, how confident are you to walk into a soup kitchen and to engage in a conversation with one of the hundreds of homeless people living right here in the city of Memphis? Sometimes I think the reason some of you and Christians struggle with confidence is the way sometimes we think about confidence is if you go on Jeopardy, you better know the subjects and you want to know the answers to all the questions. If you play trivia or you speak about something, you want to be confident in what it is you're speaking about. Yeah, there's a lot of things about God and about theology and about the Bible. We just don't feel confident we have answers to. Therefore, we start to lose confidence in faith or confident in what it means to live for God or be bold in our faith. Because we don't want somebody to ask a question and we don't know how to respond. 
The confidence the book of Hebrews is talking about is can you get to a point where you're confident in this? That what God has accomplished through Jesus is the best news for the world and it changes everything. Can we be confident in that? I like the way Eugene Peterson in the book, in the message, I like the way he, he says this in Hebrews 10, 19. So friends, we can now without hesitation walk right up to God into the holy place. So with Hebrews 10, 19 through 21, in those two and a half verses, it summarizes, especially Hebrews 4 through almost all of Hebrews 10. Here's what the author of Hebrews has talked about, that Jesus is the ultimate sacrifice, that he's the great high priest. He has accomplished so much for you. And now he gets to a point where it's like the church, when the church, when people hear about the greatness of Jesus and what God has done, we need to be led to a place where like our response is, how do I respond? Like, what do we do? What do we do with this good news that we've been handed, that we've been given? Sunday morning shouldn't end with you going to lunch or somewhere saying, did you like worship? It should end with us saying, okay, we encountered God in some kind of way through a song, through a message Josh gave. There was a verse, there was a statement. And now what do I do with this truth of God? What do I do with this encounter? So how do we respond? And the author of Hebrews is going to use a phrase three to four times in the next three verses of here's how we respond. And it's two words, let us. Like the way we respond is that the church is reminded that God has not saved you for you as an individual to have a connection with God. And all you care about the rest of your life is just for your connection with God. And I'm going to get mine. It's that let us. It's this rallying cry. We are here for each other. We're in this together. Some of your versions may have we should. This isn't just a suggestion. It's that because Jesus has saved us and has called us into a community, here's the kind of life we're called to live. Let us. I think... I, I think I have a good chance when I stand in front of this church or another church or a group of people, I think I have a good chance to encourage people and to convince people of the need for community in their lives. That there's no such thing as a Lone Ranger Christian or if I'm speaking at some other school or some effort, that we are in need of friendships and relationships in our lives. The story I told years ago, I was doing a series here on community, but there was a, a family that... They, they had a dog. They were going away, away on a seven-day vacation. They left the dog at one of those doggy motels, which I said we would never use. But now that we have a dog, we've done that a few times. Right? And, and they came back home. They picked up the dog before they got back to the house. And for 24 hours, the dog shedded hair all the time. And this was a dog that didn't shed. So the family called up the vet and they're like, what is wrong? Well, our dog's been gone a week. We've been away from it. Uh, the dog won't quit shedding hair everywhere. And the vet said, here's what you need to do. Hold the dog. The dog's been without touch now for a week. Hold the dog. And, and once it feels your touch and knows it's warm and cared for again, it won't shed the hair. And sure enough, it worked. So the moral of the story is those bald people in your life, hug them. Uh, hold them close. Stay close to them. They're in need of your, of your touch and your love. Cheek to cheek, all right? Keep them close to you. There's the power of community. Like we know things like, like birds can fly 70% further if they fly in community than if they're alone. And the same is true with the church. And I think I have a good chance to convince people of this. So you're in need of community in your life. I have a harder chance to get, 
to convince people that you need the church in your life. That we need community, we know that. We know we need friendships and meaningful relationships. But it's harder to convince people you need the church. Because the church can be really messy. But the church is the greatest expression of the kingdom of God in the world. The church is the ultimate force that God has put together to redeem a world, to save the world, to spread the message of Jesus. Like the church, being connected to a body, isn't an option for the people of God. Eugene Peterson says it like this. Uh, and this was not in the message, in a book he wrote, that there's nobody who doesn't have problems with the church because there's sin in the church, but there's no other place to be a Christian except in the church. I love the church. I believe in the church, not just because I'm paid a salary because I work here. I love the church. I believe in the church. I believe that plan A for God was launching the church and there was no plan B. I'm away from here about eight Sundays every year. Six, usually six to seven of those eight Sundays, I'm preaching somewhere else and people invite me in to do things about what it means to love the church and to, and to be united as a church and to be drawn into the mission of God and to care for a community the way God wants us to. Anywhere I go, I, just, I want my heart to beat for the church to be everything that God has created the church to be. So here's how the author of Hebrews is calling people to be the church after talking for almost 10 chapters about the power of Jesus and what God has accomplished for us in Jesus and that you have access and there's confidence, here's the let us, and I'm gonna refrain from using preacher jokes about salad on this, all right? But here's the let us, the let us, the, the we should statements in Hebrews 10. In verse 22, it's this, let us draw near to God with a sincere heart, with the full assurance that faith, say the word faith, Faith. I want you to be listening here for faith, hope, and love, all right? That with the full assurance that faith brings, having our hearts sprinkled to cleanse us from a guilty conscience and having our bodies washed with pure water. It's like the first statement here about the church is let us together be reminded of the conversion we've experienced that hasn't just drawn you into a relationship with God forever, but it's drawn the church into this movement together. And even though the word baptism isn't used here, it's a reminder of baptism, the ultimate cleansing agent for us, that you don't have to get into the waters of baptism over and over again or ask God to save you from your sins over and over again. Once and for all, Jesus accomplished something, and this is a reminder that we've been drawn and formed into this community. But there's another reminder here that shows up multiple times throughout the Bible, and that is this idea of like guilty conscience. And I've talked about this some over the last year, and I just wanted to be repeated because some of you need to, need to hear this. The enemy, Satan, the devil, whatever it is you call him in your life, the enemy can't do anything about the blood of Jesus accomplishing what the blood of Jesus was set out to do. But the enemy, once you are saved and once you respond to the blood of Jesus in your life, the enemy wants to do everything he can to hold guilt and shame over you to keep you living in, from living into a life of freedom. So we sometimes carry guilt from our past because of moral failures, affairs, abortions, how we've cheated on life or cheated on taxes or cheated on other things. And some of these things maybe nobody knows about, but we carry around this shame and this guilt. But we also have Jesus, who when Jesus ushers us into the presence of God, I think sometimes stops us and says, open your hands, give me the guilt and the shame because I died for that too so that you can live into your freedom. So the church can be everything that God has created the church to be. In verse 23, it goes from talking about faith to talking about hope. And the way the author says it in verse 23, 
has let us hold unswervingly un, like, without wavering to the hope we profess for he who promises faithful. It's this idea of clinging and holding on to hope. Like when we ride roller coasters with my kids, I'll say, hold on tight. Like, hold on to something. And what you're holding on to here, it's not a doctrine or an idea. It's, it's holding on to Jesus. And the way this is shared is like you're holding on to something, but you're not doing this all by yourself. The faithfulness of God and the promises of God is holding on to you. And then in verse 24, 25, and let us consider how we may spur one another on toward love and good deeds, faith, hope, and love. Not giving up meeting together, as some are in the habit of doing, but encouraging one another and all the more as you see the day approaching. Love and good deeds. The, the way the message, the way he puts it, and I really like this. Let's see how inventive we can be in encouraging love and helping out, not avoiding worship together as some do, but spurring each other on, especially as we see the big day approaching. I want to point out two words. And I don't do this every Sunday, but here are two Greek words. I just want you to know what they are and how powerful these statements are that the author here is using. This word about uh, not giving up is, it's about, um, it's, it's a abandoning something. It's deserting something. Which I think a lot of that was happening in the church in Hebrews. And just as importantly, I want you to see that this word about worshiping together is a word that the synagogue comes from. This, and it's talking about a specific location. Like a, it's, it's a location, it's a sense of location that is there. So I don't think the author of Hebrews is just encouraging people to have relationships where you eat meals with one another every once in a while. I think the author of Hebrews is talking about there is a place where the church gathers. And for them, it would have been house churches for a while. But there was a place that people would go to, to connect to the body of believers for the sake of mission and truth and reminders and, and boldness and courage. So for them, it wasn't just saying connection with people throughout life. It's that there's a place where the church gathers. And for them, there are people who have forsaken that. And there are probably a lot of reasons why. Persecution was starting. It was heating up. So some people didn't want to connect to a local body where they're going to a place because of persecution. It may have been that for some that they just thought that that they had heard so much about the coming of Jesus, a second coming, that the second coming kept being delayed and delayed, that they were just losing patience with the second coming of Jesus. For some, they, they may have just like given up hope. They got bored with faith. Maybe they didn't see the need for it, the need for the church. That here was just this reminder of, hey, the church needs each other. In the second century, you have historians writing things that the excuses people were using for not connecting to the church was business affairs. It was already coming up in the second century. And now there are a lot of reasons that, that, we, that sometimes we don't stay connected to church or we don't go to church. Some of us may, we grew up in churches that we were told, like if you didn't go to church on a Sunday, it was just a sin. Like you had to show up. Anytime the doors were open, you had to be there. And for many of us who, who found ourselves in more grace-oriented places, we were told, okay, that's not the case. Like if you miss church, it's not that God is mad at you for a week. But sometimes what that's done is led to some people just thinking, well, I mean, I'll just wake up on a Sunday and if I want to go, I go. And if I don't, I don't. 
It can be hard getting ready to go to a local body, right? Getting ready, getting the kids ready. You wake up and you were used to it being warm outside and all of a sudden it's in the 30s. He's writing to people, look, okay, because of everything Jesus has done, let us cling to faith, cling to hope, cling to love, and never forget how important it is for the body of Christ to come together, multi-generational, multi-ethnic, living in relationship for the sake of the world. And in the book of Hebrews... There's a lot of people, they were drifting. They were drifting from faith. They were drifting from their commitment. They're drifting from their confession. So there's this constant reminder of, hey, we are in this together. We're a force together. Don't forget this. Like, we cling to one another. We're, we're all in this together. And this can be so hard, especially when our confidence in life fades. I'm going to show you a, a quick little video. There's no audio to it. But I just want you to know that in this video, no one gets hurt. All right? Because sometimes what happens in the church is it's like something has happened in your life. We can go ahead and show it. It's like something's happened and people come to help you because your life has been spiraling. And the church comes and people come to help you and then they do everything they can to try to help. But this is what it, this is what it feels like. And then right when things seem like they're better, uh, it just goes right back to spiraling all over again. Now, let's just stop right there because <laughs> sometimes it's what it feels like to be the church. I'm sure there are many of you in this room who've been hurt by people in a church before, and it's made you lose your confidence in the church. Or you've been hurt in your life with God. Like you just, there's prayers you've prayed for years, and it just doesn't seem like God's listening to them at all. And, and there are times when all of us have suffered some form of grief or loss and people came in and with the best efforts were trying to make things better, but just made things spiral even more. But sometimes the church is like this. I don't know if you saw this last week. There were fires that happened in Florida and there was this one video of this horse and the horse was saved, but then the horse realized it had family that were out in the flames. So the horse turned and ran back through the flames to find its family to help carry them to safety. Isn't that amazing? Like, okay, and I don't want to show this for now you're going to go home and you're going to be like, oh, the cute horses. And so what happens is sometimes the church, we run into the flames for people who are being hit by the flames, just surrounded by the flames because of financial insecurity, moral failure, because of things going on in society. Because of people, agape or other people are serving throughout our city. Like there are flames that are happening. And we don't just sometimes toss our prayers that way for the church. We ask God for confidence and boldness and courage. That we are those who go into the flames to help rescue people and declare salvation over them. And sometimes the church is like this. It's, maybe you've seen the commercial before. It's a commercial that was based on a true story from the late 70s. Special Olympics, where a lot of special need kids, there were a whole line of them, a dozen of them who were on the starting line. And as they started to run, there was one who fell. Now, this commercial has been shown, and the way the commercial goes is that someone stops, and they come over, and they help the kid up, and then all the other kids stop, and they link arms, and they go across the finish line. Right? Beautiful story. The way the story went in the late 70s was that they started running and there was a kid, a boy who got out in front of everyone else and he did fall. 
And as he fell, everyone didn't come running over to him, but a couple of kids did. The first one over to this kid was a girl with Down syndrome. And she didn't reach down to pick him up first. The first thing she did is she reached over and she gave him a kiss on the top of the head. And then she reached down and picked him up. And then someone else came and helped pick him up. And there were, I think, three of them who together, they walked across the finish line. And sometimes this is what the church is like. That we fall and we're reaching for the goal. And as Hebrews 12, 12 says, that sometimes, man, our knees are just so weak. Our arms are, are heavy. And we don't know how to make it any further. But the church doesn't give up on people. We stay connected to people and we pick them up and we, we walk together. And this is what the church is like. So let us this week go in confidence. Right? That God has accomplished everything we need through Jesus. And now God has called the church to be the people who stay together as we live out this mission in the world. So I want to ask the elders and prayer leaders to go around the room to receive people. And I want to ask the church, if it will, bow your heads, close your eyes. If you want to open your hands where you are, you can just open them to receive from God. And God, I want to pray specifically right now over the people who may feel like that Jeep in the video. Where their life has just been tumbling and spiraling and it doesn't seem like anything they do makes it better. God, if there are times when people have come to help them and in helping have made things worse, God, we're, we're sorry when we do that. Yet call us to rally around those people today to remind them of the foundation that is in Jesus, to be as faithful as we can be in their lives. God, there may be people in this room who felt like something caught up in the flames, not knowing how they're going to get out. And, and they're there. They feel stuck. And I bet most of us can also think of someone in our lives who's surrounded by flames and are not connected to church or are not connected to God. And we're asking today for God to give us, who may not be in the flames, to give us the courage and the bravery to go into those places, to speak and declare Jesus where Jesus needs to be declared. Maybe you're in this room and you feel like that kid is almost to the finish line but falls. There's hardly any strength left in you. You feel weak. You're reaching, but... You just can't go far. Maybe that's you. And we're reminding you today in the name of Jesus, don't give up. Keep your eyes focused on Jesus, the author, perfecter of your life and your faith. And for those of us in here who don't feel like that's us right now, give us the courage and the bravery to be those who reach down to pick others up and to walk with them to the ultimate finish line in life. If you're in this room, and you need prayers, so finish this prayer, we invite you to the front to find one of the prayer leaders in this room to fill out a prayer card on one of our tables to let us know how we can come alongside and walk with you. And for those of us who feel like we're in a pretty good place with God, will you join me in asking God to give us great confidence this week to be brave, to be courageous, bold, risky. For every single day, eternity is on the line in someone's life. And may God use this church to shine that light in the dark world. In the name of Jesus, we pray. And the whole church said, amen. amen.